against the chill of night. Ancient stories bring life to imagination through tales of heartache and happiness, challenge and victory. The hope of resolution draws us deeper because we know there is still more to tell. Church. So I am here today because uh, Van was called away. If you haven't gotten uh, this message, Van was called away on Thursday uh, to be with his father, who passed away on Saturday morning. So he, uh, we need to just keep his family um, in our prayers as they grieve the loss of Van's dad. Sorry, I'm just adjusting here. So this morning, I got up, and um, I was a little bit confused. Uh, I usually set my alarm for church at 6.11 a.m., but for some reason, my alarm went off at 5.49 a.m. because it was my boot camp, and I had messed up on the days. So I jumped up out of bed, and I did that sort of walk where you have one eye closed and one eye barely open into the bathroom, and I I always brush my teeth first, so as I came up to rinse, I got a glimpse of myself in the mirror, and um, I had this like crease on my face from my pillowcase. I had like sleepies in my my eyes, and um, while my curly hair never looks good in the morning, it looked like I had styled my hair with mousse and squirrel. Um, And I instantly thought, who would love this? And then instantly, as soon as I thought that who would love this, a new thought came into my mind. And I remember when my kids were little, I'd hear them start to like move around in their bedrooms and they'd open the door and they'd be standing in their crib, like holding on, like bouncing up, getting really excited. But their sleepy pajamas, the ones that snapped here, would be all twisted around. They'd have multiple creases from sleeping on their sheet. Their hair would be like every which way. And they'd have this like dried snot thing going across their whole face. And all I could do was go over to the crib, pick them up, and squeeze them and think, who wouldn't love this? Why is it so much easier to reveal our heart towards another person, to love others instead of accepting love towards us? Loving ourselves and accepting love from another is challenging at times. It's because we know who we are. We know what's in our hearts, right? And we, we do a really good job at trying to hide Um, All those things that, you know, we don't want anybody else to hear or see. And we assume that if others in our lives found these things out about us, they'd stop loving us too. Seeing us in the flesh, the real you, the real me, um, that's scary. We like to hide behind our masks, behind you know, our facades of this outward appearance of our success or our jobs or our, our financial status. It's worrisome to us to think that somebody might see more than what this facade is blocking. And it's even more worrisome when we think that deep down inside, we are worried that maybe God, 
the all-knowable, all-powerful, all-seeing God, the one that knows our hearts and our minds and our souls and knows our actions all of the time, might change his mind about loving us too. And do you know why I think we think this? I think it's because we have come up with our own definition of who God is. Now, when a character in a story um, or a play does this thing, he, um, they, it's called a monologue. They actually step outside of the story and they address the audience directly. And it's meant to portray their actions or their emotions or their thought processes or what's going on in their, their hearts to the audience without anybody else knowing, without the characters in the story. They're completely oblivious to this monologue that's going on. But a monologue is an invitation to hear and see the real person, not from the person's point of view of others looking at them or from others looking at them through their actions, but from inside the heart of a person. So today's sermon is called God Reveals His Heart, and it comes from a monologue where God revealed himself in a way that he had never done before. So would you stand with me as I read uh, the Gospel of John, starting in chapter 1, 1 through 5, and then uh, 14 through 18. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. He created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the father's one and only son. From his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. Father, we come to you this morning just doing that deep breath of, um, okay, realizing that we are here, that we are present, that we are together in community, and that everything else in our life can be put on hold for just this hour. God, I pray that you allow um, us to hear you in a deep and profound way. Did you let us experience us, you and, and, and experience each other in this community? God, use my words and your word to transform us this morning, to send us out in a way that we are different than when we came in. So we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So this is a monologue that God had given um, John. And it's like a summary monologue that came about um, from everything from the creation to the birth of Jesus. This passage in John reveals God's heart like never before because it revealed God in both word and activity. See, up till Jesus, God had chosen uh, another monologue to reveal his heart towards his people. 
Uh, Some 1,500 years before Jesus, uh, Moses had led God's people out of slavery in Egypt. Now, while Moses experienced God, most of these people had another experience. They had the experience with the gods of Egypt. Uh, Some believed that Pharaoh was a god, but most of the time they thought of gods as things that were made of wood and clay. And those gods were cruel and fickle. So God steps into the picture and gives this monologue and introduces himself. In Exodus 34, verse uh, 6, it says, The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity rebellion, and sin. Now here is God revealing his heart to his people. And it keeps getting revealed time and time again from this moment up until Jesus. King David points to it and says, in the middle of being faced with uh, his enemies, trying to chase him down and kill him, he says, God, remember, you're the God of compassion and mercy. The prophet Jonah, when he's going to Nineveh, says, I know who you are. You're a God of compassion and mercy. You'll probably end up forgiving these guys. Joel and Nehemiah, the same thing. When armies are coming down and pressing on them and Nehemiah is seeing his people struggling, they all point back to this definition and say, during times of rebellion or destruction, yes, and doubt, they all repeat God's self-description. I am the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. Now, this is how God revealed himself in words that described his activity in the world. But for the most part, the everyday person might not experience God in that same way. After all, they're coming within the context of escaping from slavery or being a slave or being in the midst of a nation that is experiencing famine or having uh, an army come against them or being deported to Babylon. Their experiences were defining how they defined God, right? They were defining compassion, mercy, forgiveness, and love through their own context, They were putting those words onto God, not the other way around. Of course, this is very problematic since everybody gets to define what they mean by compassion, mercy, and love. Man defining God never works out well. Uh, When I was traveling to Israel a few years ago, um, I had an English roommate And we sort of had issues because we both were defining words in different ways. She said to me, um, the first day I meet meet her, we're in the room, and she goes, hey, I need to pop into the loo. And I was like, okay. And then the second time she said, I'm like, oh, she needs to go to the bathroom. I get it, right? And then she said, oh, I'm so upset I forgot my coat in in my boot. And I'm like, how did you stick a coat in your boot and Why? And then I realized, oh, she meant the trunk of her car. And then one day she was very insistent on me bringing my jumper and wearing my jumper out. 
And I said to her, I haven't worn a jumper since I was like four. And she's like, oh. And she pointed to her sweater. I was like, oh. Definitions really matter, right? So when John writes his gospel, um, he saw the, the life, the birth and life of Jesus correcting every human definition of God. The word was with God, the word was God. So the word became human or flesh and made him his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. God defined God. He put flesh on his word. And Jesus is God's activity being lived out. His characteristics, all he said about himself is God putting it to action in Jesus. Now, the Greek word for word is logos. And logos actually means both the act of speaking and the things spoken. There's this mirroring or tying together both word and activity. When God says something, it happens. God says, let there be light, and there was light. Light was created through that action of the word. That's how John actually tells his whole gospel. When you look through his whole gospel, Jesus, God in the flesh, is making things happen. When Jesus says, your son will live, the official son, uh, the official's son was healed. When Jesus says, get up and walk, it causes a lame man to rise. When Jesus says, go, it opens the eyes of the blind. And when Jesus says, come out, it raises Lazarus from the dead and he comes out of the tomb. The word Jesus, God in flesh, is this word and activity. The activity of God is God's revealed heart. His activity is defining his word and his word is being defined through the actions and life of Jesus. But unfortunately... We forget this truth. As we look in the mirror each morning, we still wonder, what is God's heart towards us? Now, I don't know if you know these these interesting tidbits and facts, but um, today, each of us generates more information than ever before in human history. Our world is just being... uh, awash with unprecedented amounts of data. It's like thousands of monologues come at us each and every day, but our brains haven't evolved enough or caught up to be able to process it all. In 2011, Americans took in five times, five times the amount of information every day than in 1986. That's 2011 and we're in 2021. That's the equivalent of reading 174 more newspapers a day. Just in our leisure time, not counting work, each of us processes 34 gigabytes or 100,000 words a day. Now, don't say anything because I know some of you are married and you're saying some people use more words than others. I get it. We watch an average of five hours of television and social media places like YouTube or Facebook upload 6,000 hours of content every hour. But scientists 
have uh, figured out our processing capacity at 120 bits per second. It's sort of like your speed limit for your brain. That's what we can pay attention to. And that's not counting what goes on, you know, about breathing and your heart working and all those other things. In order to understand just one person, so while you're listening to me, you are processing 60 bits of information. Just 60 bits. Now imagine somebody next to you says something to you at the same time. You're processing theirs, that 60 bits. That's 120. So no wonder why you cannot process two people speaking to you at the same time. But regularly between the news, the sitcoms, radio talk show, uh, shows, and social media, we are being bombarded with thousands of bits coming at us all at the same time. So many different monologues, they're, they're disembodied voices of information telling us who we should be, what we should look like, what we should like or not like, what we should believe, and who we should reject. These voices of information, these, these are various monologues, are like only half a logos, right? It's only the words from people that are coming at us because we don't know the heart and the mind, the intention behind the voice. We don't get to know these people enough to know where they're coming from. We're just hearing disembodied voices coming at us. And so it's no wonder why we can't hold on to what God says to us. Of course we can't see ourselves as God does. Of course we struggle with God's heart towards us. It's because we've been staring into a mirror from hell, hearing all these conflicting monologues coming at us, wondering why our lives, our hearts, our mind are reflecting more of the world and less of God's kingdom. Are you depressed enough? So here's what we need to do. I only have two suggestions this morning. I I thought about this. I know we like three points, but I only have two suggestions. Easy. The first one, are you ready? Is to stop. Stop. Stop being bombarded with so many bits of information. Stop being bombarded with these various monologues that are coming at you. It could be from anything. Now, maybe it's cutting down um, on what you look at, listen to, or engage with. Maybe you just need to cut down. Maybe it's re-engaging with people instead of a screen. Maybe it's uh, doing more critical thinking. Look, we all know Gene Valicente, right? He's been on the news forever, but... When we're listening to him, we might have a pattern in history that we know that what he says sort of comes out and it it, it comes true or something like that. You have a long history, but when you're doing it with so many different voices, do you know the heart behind the people? Do you know what their motivations are? Do you know what their sort of bent on life is, their worldview? If you're not doing some critical thinking about that, then you're just letting everything go in. Now... Some of you might have just experienced one of those moments, right? That you're like, oh, wait a minute. I just had this like, weird thought come through my head, like I, maybe I should stop doing something. Like I should actually cut down on my screen time. 
maybe I should change the way I view something. Yeah, that's God speaking to you, so just allow that to happen. I don't know, I don't, you know, whatever you do, it's just a suggestion, but you might just want to think about stopping allowing all these voices to come into your heart and mind all the time. So first, stop. Second, start. Start with the tangible. Start with things that are enfleshed by God. Start with uh, the ways in which your life have already been um, enmeshed with God's word. It's sort of like with what God has already put flesh on. Words that are enrobed or made real or, or made with flesh, words that have activity behind them, okay? So when you start with the tangible, I could think about three things that might be helpful. First, your Bible. So here is my Bible. Um, I know, look at it, it's sort of damaged. I got this when I was a teenager, okay? This is my first study Bible. And in it, um, there are lots and lots of notes. And I remember getting this Bible, and the person, um, my teacher at the time, my parents had bought me the Bible, but the teacher at the time said, make sure you write in your Bible. And I thought, write in my Bible? I thought you weren't supposed to write in a book. And, you know, she, like, she said, no, write in your Bible. And as I got used to that, I began to jot down things that I would hear during a sermon. So sometimes I would be hearing in a sermon one topic, and all of a sudden another idea would come into my head, and it was very personal for me. It was like from the words of the Bible were becoming real in my heart, that somehow God was taking that and matching them together for me. And when I wrote those down, I could go back years later and be like, oh, I remember when I was struggling with this. I remember when I had this prayer and I remember this and God said this. It was like this tangible living out of God's word for me. Now, I know most of us come in here with our phones, with our Bibles on our phones. Super convenient. I get it. But sometimes... If a bit of information is coming at you from the front and you're holding your phone and you're reading your Bible, it's also easy to swipe and be like, oh, my email, swipe. Oh, she's boring, game, right? Whatever it is, it's like how much bits of information. Sometimes going back to something very tangible is really, really helpful. So that's one example. Another one is just get involved in God's activity. Okay, yesterday we saw a whole bunch of people come together uh, by your generosity, your gift cards, your cash, your donations, come together to serve over 60 families. Okay, I saw people handing out balloons and handing out cookies and handing out bags that, they, that had been stuffed by other people. Uh, people driving and delivering these bags and giving this sort of joy to the people who are coming in. I saw people being prayed with, okay? It's like tangible examples of God in the flesh, God being merciful, God being compassionate through us. So first example, your Bible, however you do that. Second is God's activity. And third is communion or the Lord's Supper. Uh, this celebration comes from Jesus' last supper with his disciples. And he says this. He said, this is my body that was given for you. And then he says, this is the cup 
of wine, which is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed in my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Jesus' words in that moment would come to pass the next day on the cross. Jesus put his word into activity when he went to the cross. Jesus, the word, was put into the activity of God so that we could experience God's heart to us. Now, the, word, the Lord's Supper communion has a pretty wide spectrum of understanding. And so some of you might have come from a tradition that spoke of the bread and wine as Jesus's body and blood, uh, sort of like as, really as Jesus's body and blood. That somehow when the words were spoken over the elements, even though they didn't change the way they looked, their substance changed to be the body and blood of Christ. Sort of on the other side of the spectrum, some of you probably came from a tradition where it was spoken of just as a memorial. It's just as a a thing that points to something else, as a symbol. So there's like these sort of spectrums there. Christ Church is part of a denomination and tradition that embraces parts of both. So communion is a sacrament. Um, It's a visible sign of an invisible grace or to put it in modern terms, it's an outward sign of God's activity, right? It's an outward sign of God's activity. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, somehow Jesus is present in a way that he isn't present the moments before and the moments after. That Jesus is present in a way that's not magical, but it's a mystery. It's a mystery that we can embrace because somehow God is being fleshed out in the midst of us as a community. It's like the bread becomes God's word to us, tangibly holding God's word to us. It becomes this tangible reality that Jesus died for our sins. You're holding on to that tangible reality that Jesus died for our sins. God's promise of salvation is his word being acted out. And it's like the wine, or in our case, juice. It's a tangible reminder of the cost, that it cost Jesus. It cost him his blood. It cost him his life to give us new life. He shed his blood for us. So when you come to communion today, I want you to hear God's monologue to you. I want you to hear it in your heart. I want you to hear that God is revealing himself to you in this present moment for your present circumstance in this body where he dwells within his presence. So I want you to come to the table and I want you to pause and stop and look into the mirror of God's heart. See yourself as God sees you, deeply loved, deeply cherished. I want you to imagine that God is picking you up. Feel his embrace around you. Hear him say to you, who wouldn't love you? 
I certainly do. So I want us to prepare this this morning. I just wanted you to take a moment of time. You can close your eyes, and I want you to just go to him and ask for that monologue of being deeply loved, deeply cherished, this unfailing love, this compassion and mercy towards you. I want you to experience that this morning. Raise up the things in your life that you don't want anymore. Ask him to remove the sin from your life. Ask him to change the circumstances that you're going through.